Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. In 1665 and 1666, the bubonic plague hit England, and it killed an estimated 100,000 people, which was essentially a quarter of London's population. Now, we have pastors who helpfully wrote during um, that year. One of them was the Puritan uh, Thomas Brooks. He ministered during the plague, and he wrote this uh, great treatise called A Heavenly Cordial. I think this is this is where the church ha- has this great wealth of riches from the past because none of us in this generation has lived through a pestilence or a, a pandemic like the one that we are experiencing right now. So Thomas Brooks wrote this piece called A Heavenly Cordial, and he gives 13 divine maxims in respect to the pestilence uh, in order to be thinking about it biblically. Yesterday, we looked at maxim number one which is this, that when a pestilence is among a people, it is the Lord alone that sends it. And today we're going to look at maxims number two and maxims number three. And of course, uh, we are looking at um, these maxims, not only in terms of what Thomas Brooks has said, but also what the scripture has said. So maxim number two is this, God often limits his plagues and judgments to particular places. And then maxim number three is God not only limits his plagues and judgments to places, but to persons. So God limits his plagues and judgments to particular places and particular persons. Brothers, can we, can we demonstrate that biblically? Well, I think we you know, most certainly can. Um, the book of Amos, one of the interesting places in Amos is in chapter three, where uh, the Lord is reminding the people of Israel that he had brought them out of Egypt. And if we remember um, what took place in the deliverance of the people from Egypt, they actually uh, brought a number of different plagues to the Egyptians and curses and that. But also in that same chapter, he's not only is he reminding them of that and how the Lord actually visits upon them, you know, certain punishments. He, he, he says in um, Amos 3, 6, when a disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? Basically, uh, reminding uh, people that uh, you know he is he is in control. They have to respond. They have to respond to him. You know because he says, "I'm going to punish you with your sins." You know sometimes we have that punishment in this life, and sometimes we have that punishment waiting us uh, in, in eternity. Well, we obviously have those punishments waiting in eternity for those who don't have Christ. But, um, you know, we can get away with certain things uh, for a certain period of time, but we won't get away with them forever.
I was going to talk about this yesterday, and I just can't figure out how to s start my timer so I know what how much time we have. So I'll do it earlier in the show this time, so I, I actually don't run out of time. But there's a, a passage in Luke 13, and these people come up to Jesus, and there was some present at that very time who told him, Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifice, and he answered them. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will, be like, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will like all likewise perish. And there's this idea, this maxim that, God limits these things to particular places and to particular people. And Jesus is responding to this kind of same type of question. Well, there must have been a reason why this happened to these Galileans. Or the tower fell on a, on a certain people because of they were worse sinners. That they were, it's, all, it's ultimately about personal sin. And I think Jesus is stepping back and saying, no, these all happen in essence because of the directive of God. Yes. Now, the takeaway Jesus is saying is each of us needs to be ready. So that if we are the person or place in which these occur, that we are right with God, that we've repented. Um, and so it's it shouldn't be about trying to figure out well why there and not here, yeah. Why this person and not that person, yeah. Um, I think the idea is, am I ready if it does come to my house? Absolutely. And th and this really flows from yesterday's conversation, where you know this is the specific application of God's sovereignty. <laughs> Yesterday we we talked about how. Uh, the pestilence only comes because the Lord sends it. This is not the result of blind chance. It's not the result of Satan as an ultimate cause. Um, so when it lands in a particular place or when it lands among a particular people, it's not as if we're to think that God is just kind of randomly dr drawing a, an arrow and just letting it fly wherever it flies. There's this wonderful story. You guys know it, brothers. Uh, when King Ahab goes out to battle and it was already prophesied against him by Micaiah, I believe that uh, the Lord was going to punish him in battle. And it says in the scripture that this archer kind of draw, drew back his, his bow at kind of random and let the arrow fly. And it hit Ahab in the exact spot where his armor was the weakest and it killed him and it fulfilled God's word. And, and when we're thinking about pestilence in terms of where it lands in in a place or a person, we're not to think that God is simply just, you know, well, well here's some here's some plague, here's some pestilence, and and wherever it lands, it lands. No, it lands exactly where He intends it to land. And there's this wonderful scripture in Exodus eight that demonstrates this. Uh, Moses is talking, uh, the Lord is talking to Moses. And he, he tells them to go and instruct Pharaoh. He says, let my people go that they may serve me, or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled, but on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen. And so Egypt was going to be hit with the plague, but not Goshen. And I only draw out this distinction just to say, 
not because only bad people are, are being affected by the plague. That's not at all the point. The point no. is that the plague goes exactly where God wants it to go. And I think there, I think we've all heard of some churches that have basically said, we are going to continue to have worship because we have God's protection and nothing is going to happen to us. And we can um, gather for worship and be safe because God will protect us um, from this, from this virus. And um, I'm not doubting that God could do that, but I don't, think we have a specific promise in God's word that says that when something like this occurs, that we are immune to its effects. We quoted Luke 13, brother. Yeah. Jesus' whole point, Luke 13, is that do you think that you are more righteous than they? It's a rhetorical mm -hmm. question. Of course not. Mm -hmm. So I think we just have to be careful about how we communicate in times like this. I, I think what Brooks is saying is, we don't determine the people or the places in which this goes. God does. And what we need to say is in the midst of it, how will we respond if God chooses to send this among his own people? Yeah. Which he has already done. Yeah. Um, my guess is that each of us can speak to people that are extensions of either us or our church family that have already been affected by this. Yeah. Um, so I think we, we, we shouldn't naively think that only unbelievers are going to be affected and will suffer and die because of it. That's right. Well, do you guys want to tackle maxim number four? Oh, for sure. Okay. So here's a, here's maxim number four. We're, we're quoting from Thomas Brooks. He wrote during the bubonic plague in 1665 and uh, he had several gems on how to think about a plague or a pestilence. So maxim number four is this. No man knows God's love or hatred by the way that he deals with him outwardly. So maxim number four, no man knows God's love or hatred by the way that God deals with him outwardly. What is Brooks saying there, brothers? Sometimes we use circumstances to try to figure out um, how, quote unquote, God feels about us. So if things are going well, then God is delighting on us and he's pleased with us. And um, that must mean he loves us. And if things are going poorly, then we begin to conclude, well, somehow God is displeased with me. I'm, um, he doesn't love me. Um, and he's, he's bringing negative things in my life some, some, for some reason because it's a reflection of his affection towards me. Um, and I think it's dangerous theology. Right. Um, Right, and, and Ecclesiastes uh, 9.2 says, it's the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. The same event happens. You know, um, you know two people can, you know, one person can get cancer and, uh, and be an unbeliever. The other person is a believer and gets cancer. One of the things that, uh, those things show us is we can demonstrate to the world how how we suffer 
with that same disease. We don't suffer as those without hope. We're we're eternal souls. Um, you know, we, you know, I think it was C.S. Lewis that uh, made the comment. He's, he was asked by a reporter what his response would be if he were to look up to the sky and see a German bomb just about to land on his head. Lewis replied that he would stick out his tongue at the bomb and say, phooey, you're just a bomb. I'm an immortal soul. Mm. Um, he pointed out that we don't fear, you know, we live in a different way. We live without the fear of, uh, of death. We can anticipate it, um, but we live without that fear. And so, uh, you know, we, we are immortal, soul, immortal souls. So when this pestilence or whatever happens to us, whether it's a cancer, whether it's something else, whether it's car accidents, whether it's the loss of a spouse or the loss of a child, um, these things happen to everyone. And, uh, and yet we know we have a confidence that's different. We, we have a comfort from the father of all comforts that we can, that we can, um, you know, we can go to, we can go to him. We can receive his comfort. That's right. Well, it's dangerous to start thinking about theology in terms of Eastern, you know, Eastern religions. That's karma. Yeah. It's that karma to say, oh, uh, something bad's happening to me. It must be because it's, it's reflecting on some sort of uh, thing. See, there's something I've done or, or God's affections towards me. And I think God sends things into the lives of believers um, for lots of different reasons. So Jonathan talks about one that so that we can demonstrate a difference to the world. Sometimes God sends things into our lives for a purification issue. Um, like in the issue of Job, there wasn't sin. But at the end of the day, he wanted Job to know him better. To, to, be, to get a better view of who God is. Sometimes God sends things into our life so that we can come alongside of those that are undergoing the same thing later on. Right. So we rest in the fact that God loves us. Circumstances don't demonstrate the, the depths of it. Um, the depths of it were demonstrated on, on Calvary's cross. Amen. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We'll see you next time. 